So if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Luke chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 5 to 8. We are have been going through the book of Luke, and it's chapter 4 already, but I kind of slowed down a little bit to look at these three temptations of Jesus one at a time. Now, if you're visiting with us, I do want to welcome you. Before we get started, and just say welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, by way of introduction, imagine with me for a moment, and you younger men or maybe older men who will appreciate this. Imagine outside is a Bugatti Chiron Supersport that could be yours, not to own, but to drive and to enjoy. All you have to do is get up and walk outside and climb up. But instead, someone comes up to you and hands you a Yugo GB Matchbox car and says, you can have this, and you have full control on it. You can drive it around, make it go wherever you want, but it's, it's yours to completely own and control. Honestly, I think that would be crazy to take the second option. Even if I could have owned the guy, I think I would go out and sit in it. But yet we do this. When we serve and worship ourselves, others, or other things, instead of the true and living God. In fact, not only do we lose the delight that we could have by being something like a Bugatti, but we lose our purpose as human beings and we become like the little Hugo GB matchbox. Listen to Psalm 114. I'm just going to cite verses 4 and 8. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Did you hear it? You worship something that is a small, tiny object. You become like that small, tiny object. In Luke 4, 5 to 8, we're going to see a life lived to its fullness as we see Jesus as the true Israel, empowered by the Spirit, refusing to exchange the glory and majesty of God for a lie. And instead, Jesus puts God's purposes for him first. Now, to catch you up, if you haven't been here while, while we're in Luke, and if you've missed these certain these sermons, Jesus the Christ was born, he grew up, and after being anointed by God and declared to be the perfect Son of God, He's in the middle of completing one final test, being tempted by Satan, before he begins his ministry. Jesus has already been tempted once, in verses 1 to 4, to provide for himself, to make bread from a rock. But Jesus is a true Israel, empowered by the Spirit, trusted in God's provision for him. And now, in today's text, Luke 4, 5 to 8, we have the second temptation. And so, let me... Go ahead and pray, and then we'll read the word of the sermon. Father, we thank you that this is your word. We thank you that we can trust in you, and that we can follow you, that you are God and our God. And we don't have to have other gods. We don't have to worship other gods. We can worship you and you alone. We pray that you would enable us now to worship you as we listen, as we hear, as we engage with this text in Matthew, or in Luke. I pray that you would fill us with your spirit. 
They violate their purpose because they were created by God to enjoy God. To delight in the one who is not contained within physical stuff. He is outside of it, right? God is everywhere present with us, but God is not a tree. Right? God is not in a tree. We don't believe in pantheism. 
God is everywhere, but yet God is not the created order. And so God, he is the supreme good, and we are called to find our greatest joy by submitting to him and delighting in him and serving him. Now listen, I've said this to you many times before, and I'll say it again. If you have a car and you want to save money and you put water in the tank, it doesn't work. It doesn't combust. There's nothing. There's nothing. If you try to live your life in a way that was not designed by the maker, it's like putting water in your tank and expecting things to go well for you in your car. You can't do that. You have to live your life in the created order the way that the maker does it. Have you ever tried to put together one of those cheap furniture pieces without the directions? What happens at the end? What, you're missing stuff, right? And you find five or six different screws or nuts or bolts on there and you're like, uh-oh. And then you lean on it and it just like you hear a And you said, I bet you those screws were necessary. The reality is, is, is that your life was designed to be lived according to the manual, the way that God designed it to be lived. And essentially, God alone is the foundation and the source of all. He defines who you are. You know, kids, it's not your peers who define who you are, who say you're pretty or ugly or this or too short or too small or your head's too big or your ears are too big or your nose is too big or your mouth is too big or any of that stuff or you're clumsy or this or that or the other thing. That stuff that people tell you is lies. They don't get to define you. The creator defines you. And he decided that he made you the way that you are. And he's happy with the way that he made you. Which is why, in the book of James, it says, how can you curse men and with the same mouth, out of the same mouth, praise God who created those men? So I'm going to give you two challenges. One, don't listen to those non kids and their nonsense to you, kids, adults too. And two, don't listen to the nonsense you tell yourself about yourself that's wrong. That somehow you aren't who you should be. So you can't listen to the lies of others or the lies in your own head. You have to listen to what God says about you. This whole idea is that God defines who you are. He defines what you should do and the purposes of your life. When we reject God defining us, when we order our lives according to our illustration, and we trade the Bugatti Chiron for a Yugo GV, matchbox car that we can control, we violate the created order and we turn our purpose and the reality of the universe upside down. And we live a life going after trifles, empty things. And that's why it says, those who worship idols become like them. Empty, worthless. Because their lives are lived for matter that eventually breaks apart and is gone. And the only thing that is left when you die is you, your soul. This matter will all be burnt up at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and it will be recreated. This exchange is what Satan did before the world was created. Satan didn't like God as the foundation and as the fountain and source of all and the purpose of our being. So what did he do? He rebelled against God. 
He exchanged the reality of being a very important angelic being, worshiping and serving God for eternity for its own rule and control. Satan is actually the first one who traded the Bugatti for the Yugo GB. And he got a whole bunch of other demons, angels who became demons, right, to do the same. You too can have this, you, got, you can have the two, you can have this little Yugo matchbox car. You can control it. You are the one to determine its destiny. After creation, as Genesis 1 and 2 shows us, God made humanity male and female. Our purpose in the world was to live as images of God. If you've ever not thought that, if you've ever thought that through, the idea of an image of God, it was like these kings would set up images or statues of them to represent them in territories, showing that those territories were theirs, and that was their representation of their reign pushing out, and that was the very thing that we were meant to do. We were made to take God's reign from the garden and push it out throughout the world making the world a beautiful place, just like God made the garden a beautiful place. We were to take that as a template and push that template out to the whole wild world. You know what you guys do in your gardens? You know how you like to make the bushes nice and square or round or whatever, and you like to plant the flowers, and you like to make some, not all. Right? Some of you might kill plants, but that's okay. If you don't kill plants and you like to have a well-ordered outside, that's imaging God. That's God said, take these things, these things of beauty, and push them out and make things look good and clean and crisp and neat and show that I am the God of order that pushes that order out. That's the idea. Enjoying his gifts, multiplying, subduing, have dominion over the earth under his rule. And we were to continue to show how very good God's world was and how amazing he is. But Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the garden to rebel against God's ordering of the universe by determining right and wrong for themselves. They bought Satan's desire to throw off God's rule and be gods to themselves, deciding right and wrong for themselves. And so they decided to order their life the way that they wanted to get what they wanted. You, you know that's the original thing. Order your life the way that you want to get what you want. I can guarantee you that you and I do the same thing on a weekly -week basis. But just like Satan and Adam and Eve, in Exodus 32, 1 to 15, which is, this is the passage, the context that Jesus is, is quoting, okay? So you need to understand this. So Jesus is quoting from this context. Exodus 32, Israel forgot God and made a golden calf that God had explicitly for, commanded them not to. Because God was not moving in the time frame that they wanted. Moses was up on the mountain for almost 40 days. And they're down there and they're saying, we've lost our God. We've lost our leader. So we need to make our own God to go conquer the nations that we were promised in our own time and in our own way. That's what they did. And so they forgot that God was the one who promised them the land. And that he alone was powerful enough to give them the land. And they worshipped the false God and sought God's they sought this little God's power to give them God's promise without submitting to God's timing and God's plan. The Israelites were supposed to worship God alone and live for his kingdom, not theirs. Yet they decided to order their life how they wanted to get what they wanted. That was the sin of Israel. That's why they made the other God. And this is the very temptation that Satan, the slanderer, is trying to put before Jesus. Essentially. And we're going to dive in this text now. He's saying, Jesus, all you have to do is 
Order your life the way that you want. By not putting God first and not putting God's plans first for you, and you can have whatever you want. I'll even help you get it. So long as you give me what I want. Worship. I want to look at this passage in three points. First, Jesus is the true Israel is tempted to order his life improperly. Second, Jesus is the true Israel orders his life properly under God. And then third, we in Christ can order our lives properly with God as ultimate. Point number one. Jesus, as the true Israel, is tempted to order his life improperly, which would avoid the cross and destroy our redemption. Verses 5 to 7. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Okay, now there's some little complexities in here, and you probably have questions. So I'm going to try to get to that. Verse 5. We see Satan, it says, taking Jesus up. And according to Matthew, you look at the account, probably to a very high mountain. And showing him the kingdoms of the world at a glance. Now, probably what this was, was the highest mountain that was in that area. And he could see all around a panorama. And he's looking out and seeing all the known kingdoms of the world at that time. Remember, it was a different world than it is today. Right? Today, we don't, you know, the world has been everywhere, right, around it. Back then, the known world was Rome and the surrounding regions and that type of thing. So that's what they're talking about. So this is representatory of the whole. Now, in verse 6, then, Satan declares to Jesus that the authority and the glory of all of these earthly kingdoms is his. And he has power over them. Now, wait a minute, you say. Wait a minute, wait a minute. How can Satan say this? Why doesn't Jesus, you notice, conspicuously absent, is Jesus arguing against this? Satan says he's got all authority, and Jesus doesn't argue and say, God is sovereign and over all, right? So be quiet, Satan. He doesn't. We'll get into that. Why wouldn't he argue that he and his father are the ones who are really in charge of the world? Well, let me give you a few passages. The first one, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 to 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The second passage, 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Third passage, Ephesians 2, 2 to 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Here's the deal. Satan is the god of this world. He is the one who holds the whole world under its power and the prince of the power of the air. What this means, okay, is not that God is not sovereign. It doesn't mean that Satan doesn't have to get permission from God. Not what that means. But what it means is that Satan, because of the fall, because of all mankind being of the father, their devil, of, the, of their father, the devil, that it means that their hearts their minds, their views, the world, the majority of the people of this world, their view, are under Satan's influence. 
He influences the world's philosophies. He influences education. He influences commerce. False ideas, false thoughts, and false religions in this world are under his control and have his lies and deceptions as the fountain or source of them all. In other words, this world, its principles, its practices, everything, Satan has influence and control over. And so, because he has that ability, because he has the world captive under him, he offers Jesus, in verse 7, authority over them and their glory that he says that he can give them to Jesus if he wants. All Jesus has to do is worship him. If Jesus worships him, the devil is saying that he will, I think, bend the world through his influence and through his power to give Jesus authority over the world so that they will say, this Jesus guy is great. Remember what was happening in Israel at the time. People were starting to go after Jesus as if he was some messianic guy who was going to kill everybody. But that wasn't what Jesus had in mind. He was going to die for our sins. And so what Satan is doing here is Satan is saying, I can influence the world and have them talk about you and make much of you. You won't have to suffer. You won't have to die. Everything will be all be good. And all you have to do is worship me. And so here's what Satan does. Satan's like, I can, do, I can take this deal. Son of God, if he submits and worships me, he doesn't have to die. The whole world stays under my control. And I will let everybody talk great about Jesus, but it won't matter because I am the one that Jesus worshiped. I am God of Jesus. That's what he was doing. That was the temptation. Now, basically, Jesus then would be able to, like Satan, have control over the minds of people, and he would be serving zombies. That's what you're talking about. People who are blind, who can't see, who don't know their right from their left, who are caught up in Satan and his control and his power. They're servants. They're slaves. Everyone outside of Christ is a slave to Satan and to his power. And so Jesus is being tempted to make slaves of people. That they would give him the glory and the honor by just simply being twisted and manipulated into, into doing that like the world is with Satan. Jesus, like Satan, could rule a world of slaves for his glory without the cross. Satan put himself in a position of God saying that he is the owner of the world and has a right to give it to whomever he wants. And so that's why Satan should, Jesus should bow down to him. Satan wanted a satanic kingdom. If Jesus would only worship him, then Satan's grip would forever be upon the earth and every man, every woman, every child would be under his kingdom, under his control. There would be no rescue. There would be no salvation. There would be death and death only. Satan would have his kingdom and every person would be under his control and he would have a world that does not glorify God but spits in God's face and says, I am going to have control of the Yugo GV matchbox car instead of God Almighty who loves us and cares for us. And so, essentially, the only cost for Jesus would be that Jesus would get the authority and glory glory over it instead of him directly, right? So it's basically like he's under Satan, so it's an indirect glory. Yet because Jesus would be under his authority, it would still be ultimately the ruler. 
would still be still be Jesus, right? Like, well, even though it's under Satan's authority, you're still in control. You have all the minds and hearts of everybody. Isn't that good enough? Isn't that what you came for? There is a sense here that the devil is telling Jesus that the way for him to get the promise of the nations that his father gave him is to worship him. The idea of worship here, by the way, so you know, this Greek word is to prostrate oneself. To put oneself on the ground, under the feet, to kiss the feet or to kiss the hem of the garment of the leader. This is the opposite of what Jesus came to do. Jesus was promised that he would stomp the head of the serpent. And Satan is trying to put Jesus under his foot. Can you see it? The promise of Genesis 3.15, that the serpent would be crushed... Satan's trying to crush Jesus and flip it. Satan's telling Jesus to express an attitude or gesture of complete dependence on or submission to himself, the slander. In other words, Satan is reversing the actual ordering of life. He tells Jesus that he has the power to give Jesus the world. And if Jesus wants the world to submit to him to kiss the feet of the Son, he will have to kiss the feet of Satan. Satan is offering Jesus a Yugo, matchbox car. Jesus can avoid the cross. He can avoid the will of his father and have control over something that really isn't the real thing, slaves. The father promised Jesus, the Bugatti Chiron, in a sense, to sit at his right hand and co-rule with him over a people who willingly serve and worship him, not a people who do so because their minds and hearts are blinded and darkened and bullied. That's what the world is. Blinded, darkened, bullied by Satan. And so we see that Satan tempted Jesus, the true Israel, to order his life improperly so that he could avoid the cross and destroy our redemption. Second point, Jesus is the true Israel, maintains the true ordering of life by God to submit, to embrace God's plan of the cross and our ultimate redemption. Look at verse 8. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus sees God as the Lord, and the only one worthy of worship and service. So he cites Deuteronomy 6.13, the situation dealing with the golden calf and the idolatrous nation of Israel is pursuing a God outside of God and his plan. And so... Basically, Jesus cites Deuteronomy 6.13 to say that God alone is the only one who's worthy of worship. God is the absolute authority over humanity. And it is God alone who gets to determine the way that life is ordered. What we are supposed to do. What we are supposed to be. Who we are. And what our purpose is. God alone has the power and the authority to say who you are. When Jesus grounds this in Deuteronomy 6, he's grounding it in, that, in a rich passage that holds God out, by the way, as the one and only true God. It's grounded in the passage of the Shema. That, that word Shema is here in Hebrew. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jesus grounds Satan's trying to give him the worship in that God is one. There is only one God, the ultimate God. And you will worship God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's what Jesus is grounding in. He's like, Satan, you're way off, dude. You are way off. And so, 
having self or any other thing go against God, it makes God jealous. He's jealous for his people. God is the only true God who fulfills his promises and he requires of us a whole life submission. And so Jesus, basically here, is seeing God as in his midst and he knows that God will be angered if Jesus tries to order his life under anything other than God himself. And so Jesus tells Satan that life is to be ordered by worship and service to the Lord God. Now, the idea of this, of true and only valid worship, is prostrating yourself, going flat on your face before God, before Yahweh Elohim. I am creator, right? The covenant-keeping creator, faithful God. And kissing his feet or his garment. In other words, it's in the Lord's Prayer. You say it every week. Your will be done. Your will be done. That is what kissing the feet of God means. It's that he's in charge. And you're not. I'm not. And so, essentially, it's this idea of expressing an attitude or gesture of complete dependence and complete submission to the eternal covenant faithful God, the creator. The idea of service here is carrying out religious duties to our eternal covenant faithful creator. So it's kind of like worship is your whole heart, your whole life being for God and service is you do those things that God is asking you to do. In other words, Jesus says that the second Adam or true Israel is to completely depend and submit to the eternal covenant faithful creator, this one, God, who is worthy of worship, is to direct humanity how to order their life. And in the life of a human, they are to fulfill all their religious duties that this eternal covenant faithful God has laid out for them. Now, Jesus' purpose was to destroy this kingdom of the devil and to rescue a people who would glorify the Father, Son, and Spirit by worshiping God and God alone. Jesus would destroy the works of the devil and make a people who would do acts of love and good works out of joy and delight and not out of being tricked, of having their minds darkened and blinded. You see, the world is blindly and dark in the dark, giving glory to Satan, and you, as God's people, renewed in Christ Jesus, doing good works out of your heart, are glorifying God in joy. And so, Jesus would destroy Satan's kingdom and build God's not for himself alone, but for the glory and honor of the triune God. And so through Jesus' submission to God's will, every tribe, every tongue, every nation would one day become a complete people living with God in his kingdom, perfectly loving, perfectly obeying, perfectly ordering their lives, and all to the praise of God's glorious grace. All people will one day live as king, his kingdom people who trust in him. You see, Jesus refuses to determine for himself what is right and wrong. But instead, he aligns himself with God, obeying and worshiping God alone. He orders his life under God, willingly following God's plan of the cross, which would ultimately redeem or rescue humanity to be free to willingly love the Father, the gracious Father, instead of under the power of a, the power-hungry slanderer, the devil, who is a liar, And so we see that Jesus, the true Israel, ordered his life properly by submitting to and embracing God's plan of the cross and our ultimate redemption. 
Finally, our last point. We in Christ can order our lives properly with God as ultimate. So, this last point. three Colossians 3, 1-4, Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And then in Galatians 5.1, Paul says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The gospel is a freedom. Because Jesus refused to short-circuit God's plan and purpose for him and ultimately the world, but rather to properly order his life to endure the cross for our sake, he has freed us from that bondage. You, in Christ, are not in that bondage. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 2, 5-7, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then it continues. By grace you have been saved. Through faith, not of works, so that no one may boast. And then it says, for you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You are freed as a new creation to live the way that God designed you to live. You have the spirit of the living God in you if you've trusted in Christ. And that spirit enables you to live in enjoyment of all that God is and all that he has. We have died to being slaves to our flesh. We have died to the power of the world. We have been made alive with Christ by the grace of God because Jesus resisted the devil and said, not my will, but my Father's be done, essentially. He did not account quality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself of his glory, made himself a servant, and submitted to death upon a cross. And now he has been highly exalted and has been given a name that is above every name, that now at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in both heaven and earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, glory, and Father. You see, Jesus got the submission. Every knee will bow to him. And he didn't have to fall under the devil. And we, brothers and sisters, will sit with Jesus Christ and will reign with Christ. We don't get the world bowing down to us. We are not God. But we reign with Christ because we are in Christ Jesus. And we, brothers and sisters, will judge angels. That's what the scriptures teach. Those demons, they will be judged. And somehow we will participate in the judgment of Satan and his minions. Know the height of the calling you have. So, see, God has done this by his grace, by gifting us faith to trust in Jesus' person and work for our redemption. And when he did this, he regenerated us, making us his workmanship for good works, which God has prepared that we should walk in. And because we are in Christ, we can now properly order our lives walking in the good works that God has prepared for us. We no longer have to take the little Yugo GB with the little matchbox car and go, we can go step out in the Bugatti 
And God's driving that thing. And it goes where he wants it to go. And it is effective. And it is a ride, the ride of your life. That is what you have in Christ Jesus. We can enjoy the immense gift of love and life to us. We can listen to his word, obey his commands, and follow the guiding of the spirit, properly ordering all of our life according to his desires. And we can say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in my life as it is in heaven. Have your way with me, God. I'm your servant, and I know that you will take me the best place that I can go because you're the creator, and the creator is the only one who knows what he's doing. And I want you to understand this, especially kids. You know what? You don't know what you're doing. Adults don't know what they're doing. They just do a really good job of hiding it from you. They don't know how to raise you. They don't know. They do the best they can. It is like, it's like a mystery. You know, you didn't come with an instruction manual, kids. You know that? There's no instruction manual. The Bible just gives us principles. There's no instruction manual, how to change diapers or do this or do that. You don't get that stuff. You don't know how to deal with emotions and the struggles, the, the difficulties, the school stuff and all the drama. You don't, you don't know how to do that as parents. But we have Christ to walk with us. And he guides us and he leads us. And we try to submit to him and do the best we can to love you kids and to show you that you need to be living, not pretending that you have it all together, but following God who knows his plans for you to give you hope in the future. So what's the application for all this? We no longer have to live for ourselves. We don't have to try to determine in our mind what is right or wrong. We don't have to live in a way that we worship ourselves by doing things for our little kingdom to come out and have our little wills to be done. We don't have to look to the world for our Yugo GV matchbox that we can grasp tightly in our hand, pushing it about, controlling everything. Instead, we can live out the reality that we are not in charge. And as the former church I was at in Parkman, Ohio says, it's not God's plan for my life, but my life for God's plan. It is not God's plan for our church, but our church for God's plan. You see, we walk as people who do what God wants and what God tells us to do. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, I close with this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Father, we have been redeemed. We have been freed. We are your people to serve you with joy and delight, not blinded. We do so willingly because you have made our heart to do so. And as we serve you willingly, we do praise you and give you glory and honor for all you are, for all you do. Would you help us to not live for our puny little wills, but we would live for your will and do what you want. We need your help with this. We need your spirit with this. Would you pour out your spirit upon us and make us flood forth springs, streams of living water to touch all that we, all the, all the people that we know, that we would touch them and show them your glory. We praise you and thank you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.